1: Welcome to another episode of the Fairy Tellers Podcast. So great to have you.
0: And we're getting into the holiday season, which might seem early because (laughs) it's like September, but no, we start celebrating holidays early over here at the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Yeah.
1: Labor Day is the first holiday of the holiday (laughs) season. We're, and we take it seriously. We put up a Labor Day tree. Yep. And that's it. There's a Labor Day tree. But what but, do you do for Labor Day besides go golfing and have a barbecue?
0: Uh, the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival is going to be starting soon. So, yeah, where you live, maybe it's not like holiday season. But for many people around the world, especially in Asia... There is a holiday that is coming up in September that is awesome, and it is the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival.
1: And we've done stuff with the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival before.
0: So, yes, last year to celebrate the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival, we told the story of Changi, the Chinese goddess of the moon, and, like, all of the, like, kind of, like... I kind of did a dive into some of the like the mythological like characters in that story and a little bit like extra about them because like the story itself can be like fairly like short and quick, but it's yeah. really interesting going back and looking at where the characters in this story kind of land in in other stories and like continuing on in other areas like inside of China. So that was really fun just to cover like the story of Chang'e. And that is a, I think I already said this, but like a Chinese story that they tell around the mid autumn moon festival. So after that episode uh, went out last year, a friend of mine who is Vietnamese American, um, she messaged me and she was like, Hi, Amy. Um, she, she messaged me and was like, this story reminds me of a tale that like my dad would tell us kids about like a person in the moon. Cause Changi and the Chinese story ends up being like this, like yeah. woman, like on the moon. And so she like sent me a link to the story and it was the story that we're going to tell today. So nice. yeah. Took me a year, but we got to
1: it. <laughs> yeah, we needed to Yeah put it in its proper place in the holiday season.
0: It was funny because it was like I immediately was like, Oh, better put this on the schedule. And it was like October 2020, and I was like, like, let's go out to the schedule for September 2021. <laughs> and it's always like, I don't know, thinking about the next year ahead always seems like I don't know, it seems crazy to me, like to yeah. be like, I don't know what's going to happen in, like, 2025. And so to, like, even consider that that year <laughs> is going to happen
1: yeah, seems like... but I like do crazy. know that in October of that month, we're doing... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Insert topic here as an episode of the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I put it on the schedule, and now the time is finally here. And what was super interesting when she messaged me was, like, she had sent, like, a link to the story... Choo Choi, the moon boy. That's what the title yeah. was, which I'm like, ooh, I love a good rhyme. Oh, yeah. Choo Choi, the moon boy.
1: That's got like strong marketing potential.
0: Oh, yeah. But when she messaged me, she was like, I read through this version. It doesn't quite match up with the version that my dad used to tell. So I don't know which one is right. And I was like, um, your father isn't like native Vietnamese man. So if he told you a version of the story, his version is right. It is a correct Vietnamese version of the story on account of he is Vietnamese.
1: Yeah. On account Uh, of it is a folk tale and he is one of the folk. Yeah. Telling the tale.
0: Yeah. So I was like, I'm like the version that he told you is probably the right version and the version that you sent me a link to is also probably the right version because, yeah. like, yeah, they're all the same. And she's like, Oh, I really like thinking about it that way. It's like, Yeah, because it's true. Like, <laughs> your dad can't misguide you when it comes to Vietnamese folktales.
1: Because we are so used to talking about kind of, I don't want to say dead folktales, but folktales that once they were written down, like, then kind of move, they're still folktales. Kind of, but it's like they kind of move out of the realm of folktale because they become literature or they become like a solid thing that you can go back to the text and say, well, that's not what it says in the text. But it's like folktales originate as being told orally and spread from person to person and things would naturally change in that way. So it's like, yeah, if you if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard us talk about this before.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that like it gets written down and then once it's written down. Or one version becomes, like, the most popular version of it, the most well-known. Then people are like, oh, now any other version of it, any change to it isn't correct. Or it's, like, not this, like, oh, this isn't the same version. What's interesting, because that's, like, one of the complaints that people have against, like, Disney. When they took, like, Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and they decided on how they were going to retell a version of it. And then since it was, like, viewed by so many people for, like, so many years, because, like, some of those movies are... I mean, Snow White was made in, like, what, the 1930s?
1: Yeah, 30s or 40s. Long time ago.
0: Yeah. Like, that became what people thought was, like, the version of those tales. And so, yeah, we do tend to think of, like, oh, nope, there's, like, a right version of a story and, like, a wrong version of a story.
1: Yeah, we're we're not used to thinking of these living tales.
0: Yeah, and so, like, whatever version her dad told her, and what's interesting is, since I started, like, doing research, like, into the, like, into this, like, tale, is that I have not been able to find a story that is exactly the same in like the different places that I've looked for it. Right. And so, and I mean, I watched a Vietnamese cartoon. (laughs) I didn't get a whole lot of the language, but luckily when things are in cartoons and I, since I already knew the plot points behind it, I could follow like what was going on. So, cause yeah, when I do research, I really like to be like, okay, what do the people who are in that? like, culture what have they been exposed to what have they seen already and so they have that like in their mind as like the version because i did the same thing with like when i was like all right 10 chinese brothers show me and that that was quite a trip (laughs) that movie So the version of this tale that I have decided to use for this episode, I actually found in a children's book. The children's book is called Vietnamese Children's Favorite Stories, and it's put out by Tuttle Publishing, which I really generally like Tuttle Publishing. They do a lot of books from Southeast Asia and like other Asian countries. I especially like their children's books. And this one, the author is Vietnamese, which I deeply appreciate. Sometimes, sometimes like, you know, when books get like collected and they have one person, you know, rework them and put them like in the person isn't from that culture. And it doesn't mean that like the, the work doesn't matter, or that the source isn't good it's just I'm like, I always like it when somebody who is part of the culture is the one that's like retelling the story. And so this story in the book is Mr. Choi under the banyan tree. So there was once a woodcutter named Choi, who lived alone at the edge of the woods. So he was very poor. And he just lived in this little hut and wore his old clothes and worked very hard. He had a beautiful garden, even though it was small, where he kept a lot of herbs and flowers. And every day he would go out and gather up twigs and cut wood and try to Weave them into baskets. And then he would sell the baskets, the wood, the twig, everything that he kind of was able to gather together, even some of the stuff from his garden. He would take that to the village market to sell it. So one day he was out chopping wood, doing what he always would do, and he sat down in the shade so that he could just relax. And when he looked up, he saw that there was a little tiger cub. And anytime you see a tiger cub, anytime you see a cub of any type of animal, Uh, uh, you got to watch out for like moms. Yes. Mom, Mom animals are the angriest animals. So that fun animal fact. So he saw this little cub and he was worried, oh no, is this little cub lost? Let me try and like help this little cub out. So he picked up the cub and he was petting it. Which is like, no, buddy, don't do that. (laughs) And, you know, the baby was like playing and he and Choi was looking around, looking for the mom. And suddenly Choi heard the mother (laughs) roaring. And in his fright, he dropped the cub and it fell and hit its head on a rock. Oh, no. And Choi was like, oh no, what have I done? I hurt this little like cub. And the little cub was like passed out, laying on the ground now. And he saw the mother start to come over. And so he quickly Mm -hmm. went up into this tree.
1: Oh man, that's a bad choice. Tigers can climb trees, my friend.
0: (laughs) And I'm pretty sure they have good senses of smell and stuff, so it's not like, you know, you're going to be hiding very well. So the mom came over and she started, like, sniffing at her baby who was lying on the ground. And she discovers that her cub is hurt and she starts roaring in anger. But then... She kind of like calms herself down. She looks around and she goes over to a banyan tree and she pulls some of the leaves off of this banyan tree and she starts chewing them up in her mouth and she goes over to her baby and she puts the banyan leaves onto her baby's head. After she rubs the banyan leaves on her cub's head, he immediately just pops right up And is as good as new, back to normal, and he bounds off with his mom. Well, Choi had seen all that and was like, huh, that was weird. I didn't uh, expect that cub to be okay. Huh, interesting.
1: (laughs) Or for a tiger to be practicing medicine without a license.
0: (laughs) The greatest crimes of the jungle.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's the without a license part that really bothered him.
0: Oh, yeah. It's... It's unsafe. Some of the most unsafe things that you can do inside of a jungle. This is a legal ease podcast. How would you say that better? This is a
1: legal advice
0: podcast.
1: <laughs> but our lawyers would like us to inform you that we are not lawyers and this cannot be considered as legal advice. This is for entertainment and instructive purposes only. Thank you so much
0: for being the way you are. <laughs> We feel totally fine being like, this This is an animal husbandry podcast without being like, local zoologists would like us to (laughs) know that. um.
1: We are not to be trusted.
0: Anyway. (laughs) Have I been calling him Choi this whole time? Koi. So Koi started to realize that this tree might have magical powers. And so he kind of just like logged away the information in his mind. So he decided to climb out of the tree, gather up some of the leaves and stuff his pockets full of the Spanion tree leaves so that when he had the opportunity, he could test out his hypothesis. So he didn't walk for very long before he actually spotted a dog that was lying dead in the middle of the road. Oh, man. So, yeah. There
1: are a lot of dead and injured animals in this story.
0: But what's great is that they don't stay that way,
1: right? Yeah, that's true. At least for the tiger thus far.
0: Yes. And now it just, you know, spoiler alert, (laughs) the dog's going to be fine. Uh, (laughs) So Koi goes over to this dog that's lying in the road and he crushes up some of the leaves that he had in his pocket. And then he rubs them on the dog and he waits. And he didn't wait very long before up popped the dog, miraculously healed. See, I told you the dog was going to be fine.
1: I was glad to have known that in the moment. It was very comforting.
0: (laughs) So Koi was super happy to see this dog healed and feeling fine, you know, back from the dead. And so he says to the dog, like, you'll come home with me, and tomorrow you and I will go and get the magical tree to take it home with us. And so the woodcutter and his new doggy friend, back to his home i love a good story where a person gets to adopt a dog
1: rescue a stray off the street bring it back from not the brink of death but death itself
0: Mm -hmm. it was a feel-good story so the next morning koi and the dog got up and they went back to the magical banyan tree and they worked to dig it up. So later in the episode we'll talk a little bit more about like banyan trees and how they are. But for the sake of the story, he, you know, digs up, uproots the tree and he moves it over to his garden in his house. So the banyan tree grew and grew. It was doing fine. Koi would make sure to take extra special care of the magic tree. He would only water it with the cleanest water. All of his other plants, you know, they could have dirty, muddy water. It was fine. Or even, like, you know, water that had maybe some garbage in it. Or even if, you know, he felt like he needed to pee, he could go out to other places in his garden. But (laughs) never, never, ever did wastewater end up on the magic tree. It was always, like, the, the cleanest, nicest Water going on his banyan tree. So one day he was passing by the nearby village and he was hearing a big commotion, crying, wailing, sadness. So he asked somebody about, like, oh, what's going on over there? And they're like, oh, that's the house of the really rich merchant. His daughter, she's been ill for a very, very long time. And even the best doctors that have gone over, they haven't been able to do anything to help heal the merchant's daughter. And the family is just very upset and in despair because it looks like she's close to death. Mm -hmm. And, well, no, not, Uh, mm, it's not, no, it's not sad. They don't know that in the story. (laughs) You're so sweet for empathizing with them. I was like, no, it's fine, Jeff. You already know he's got magic in his pants. (laughs) Pockets. (laughs) So her family and friends, they were just all feeling deep despair because uh, she was at the brink of death. So Koi, knowing that he had magic banyan leaves in his pockets, he quickly started to like grind up the leaves in his pocket to make a paste. And when he went into the house, he told them that he had a medicine that might help their daughter. And of course they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Try anything. They didn't care (laughs) if he had accreditations. (laughs) So they had him like come in and he applied the banyan leaf paste onto her forehead. And within seconds, she was like, her cheeks were starting to get rosier. Her eyes fluttered open and she like sat up. She was completely well again. So the merchant was so overjoyed with the miraculous healing of his daughter that he asked Koi if he wanted to marry his daughter. (laughs) And Koi, you know, was like, this is quite a change of fortune because it's like he lived, you know, out away from the village, very poor, and the merchant is in the village, very rich. So he was like, yeah, if she will take me, it would be an honor to, like, have your daughter. And so... Koi took the merchant's daughter back to his home and he showed her his magic banyan tree and his garden and he said like like if you're going to live here and you're going to be like helping me in the garden I need you to remember that this tree can only have the cleanest water never any like wastewater and his wife was very understanding about this was like yep that makes total sense Magic banyan tree that saved my life. Of course, I'm going to take like a good care of it. No problem. And so they spent their days together working hard he would go out and keep gathering up those twigs and the wood cutting wood and his wife would stay home and she would weave the baskets and she could weave the baskets even more beautifully than he could weave the baskets and so they worked together as this you know little entrepreneurial team working together and his wife never threw dirty water onto the magical banyan tree and they were able to start to accumulate a little bit of wealth. And pretty soon his hut was growing in size because they were have money to build onto it, have nicer things and just have a better life all together with each other. So one summer day, Koi's wife was working hard, cleaning the hut, feeding the chickens, scraping out all the pots and pans, just getting everything clean and tidy And she was getting pretty tired out and it was getting warm inside of their hut. And so she decided that she was going to carry all of the dirty dishwater outside with her. And when she got outside, she just sat down with her bucket of dirty dishwater underneath the banyan tree because it provided so much wonderful shade and she started to doze off underneath the banyan tree in the warm summer. But soon, Koi, he started coming down the road back towards the hut, and the dog started to run to the road, barking loudly to greet its master coming home. And this startled the wife, who was sleeping underneath the banyan tree, and she knocked the bucket of dirty dishwater over, and it spilled onto the roots of the banyan tree. And immediately after that water had spilt onto the roots of the banyan tree, the ground started to tremble and the woman jumped up and like looked down and she realized that the banyan tree was starting to lift up into the air. And so she starts calling out to her husband and screaming and there's like you know the earth ripping up the ground falling down as this big tree is just like lifting up into the sky and koi he starts yelling out after the tree oh no oh no and he grabs onto the roots and he holds on tight but pretty soon he's so far up into the air that he can't let go without falling to the ground and dying and so he keeps holding on to the tree and it carried him up into the sky all the way to the moon where it landed and in this story it says that every year on the mid-autumn moon festival moon which is it's the 15th day of the 8th moon in the lunar cycle so on that 15th day of the eight month in Lunar Cycle, which is the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival, everybody looks up at the sky while they eat their sweet moon cakes, and they look up at the moon, and they try to see if they can find the banyan tree, Chu Koi, smiling down at them. Hmm. It ends with, on the ivory moon under the banyan tree, there was old Mr. Koi dreaming of coming
1: home. Oh, man. That makes it a little less, it's a little like a bittersweet. Have, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the Chang'e story where it's like, it's sad because like, you know, this person was up on the moon by themselves, like living out the rest of their life, not with the person that they loved, but it's also like, oh, it's sweet because, you know, this person is, I, I don't know, living their best life. But not really live the best life. Yeah, it's, it's like beautiful. Conflict- it's, it's just conflict-
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. It's not yeah. necessarily like this super happy thing or a sweet thing, but it's like a beautiful imagery, beautiful kind of thought, I guess. And a beautiful thing that the people are like remembering this person and looking for them on the moon every year when they're doing this the celebration.
0: Yeah. It's, it's also like interesting to me like how people look up at the moon and they – they see different things yeah. inside of like the, the the shadowed areas that are the craters on the moon and, you know, the light, the light parts. And they are trying to figure out, you know, like, oh, what's up there? Like, yeah, they're trying to figure out like a picture, an image, something yeah. like on the moon that's like up there that they can see because it's like, oh, the man and the moon, because like, oh, if you look at it one way, it looks like a face or it looks yeah. like it. it's just like so interesting that through time like people have been like looking up at the moon, trying to like find yeah, it's like just it's, like patterns like, and images. It looks like
1: something up there. Same thing as like, you know, looking at clouds as they go by, but it's different because it's the same. Like the moon doesn't change all that much.
0: Yeah and then it's also interesting because you know the moon you can o- you see different parts of it at different times cuz it's like throughout the month you only get to see parts of the moon and there's just like a couple days where you can see the whole thing
1: right but also really interestingly is the whole like geosynchronous orbit thing where the same side of the moon constantly faces us cuz really it could be like you know, constellations or things like that, that they actually relative to what you're used to seeing, like, move around and are different from day to day. Because like, if it was also rotating. Yeah, it would would
0: be a different picture. Yeah, depending on the time
1: of, yeah, when it was but it's not, it's always facing that same side towards us. So you're seeing that same image over and over and over and you have kind of time for it to solidify into a thing, like unlike clouds, like in the clouds, you're like two you're two people there looking up at something. But I've had that moment where you're looking at a cloud and they're like, oh my gosh, that cloud looks like an elephant. And I'm like, oh, where is it? What? Oh, that one? Oh, the one over there. But by the time I find it and identify it, like, it doesn't look like an elephant anymore.
0: Yeah, it's it's already like started to yeah. shift. Yeah, so we That's couldn't so come to a consensus.
1: But where this, it's like cultures come to a consensus about what it is. Like in Japan, there's a rabbit up there. You know, Chang'e is up there. Chu Koi is up there. Like in the West of here, we think of like there's a, a man's face up there. But as groups, we have kind of been able to agree on something generally.
0: So it's super fascinating that you mentioned the rabbit on the moon, because the rabbit on the moon is also an interesting one in Asia, because lots of different people can see the rabbit in the moon. And there's all there's like different stories about it, because there's like one where it's like in Chang'e's story, there was like the queen mother of the West who had given the the rabbit, some call it like the white rabbit. Other countries, it's the Jade rabbit, and I have heard a uh, Buddhist story about how the rabbit on the moon got to where it was and i've I've told that story on the Instagram account and in, like the highlights if people are uh-huh. interested. So it was really fascinating to me when I was reading inside of this Vietnamese children's storybook. And I found a story about the jade rabbit and it was so, so similar to the story, the Buddhist story of like how the rabbit got on the moon. Oh, cool. Except that like the Buddhism inside of the story was removed. Right. <laughs> Which I'm like, that's super fascinating. <laughs> Obviously, because on this podcast, we love looking at the differences like that are inside of yeah. the story. But yeah, inside of this book, It says, so during the full moons, like the one that happens on the mid-autumn moon festival, the people in Vietnam like to gaze up into the sky and think about the tale of the jade rabbit and the good qualities that the jade rabbit had. So here's the story. Long ago, there were four animal friends. There was the monkey, the elephant, the squirrel, and the rabbit. and They were very close friends, even though they had very different personalities and interests and gifts and talents on account of being very different animals, monkey, (laughs) elephant, squirrel and rabbit. So every morning, the elephant was known to head up into the mountains where he would be looking for some nice, cool water to drink. But this elephant was a little bit selfish, and he wouldn't tell people where he was finding the best springs with the cleanest, clearest water. He was like, "Mm, no, that's for me. But also there was Monkey, who every day was busy climbing up into trees and picking fruit. And Monkey was a little selfish, and he would never tell anybody where he would find the juiciest, sweetest mangoes. he kind of wanted them all for himself the squirrel would go off every day digging holes and burying all of the acorns and nuts that he would find and squirrel was a little bit messy and (laughs) the dirt and the branches and the twigs everything that he would throw all around every place while he was digging his holes and burying things he would never clean it up
1: come on squirrel
0: but then there was rabbit who was always so generous and wise, who was always thinking about other people over himself. He didn't want to do anything to inconvenience anybody else, and he always wanted to share whatever he had with others. And so all of the animals really loved and respected Rabbit and secretly wished that they could be maybe a little bit more like him. So another one of Rabbit's talents was he was a great storyteller. So at night, they all the animals would come together and gather around a fire. And Rabbit, who is considered the best storyteller by everybody, would tell different people's stories of the day of the wonderful things that they had all done during the day, which I'm like, yeah, I would think that Rabbit's the best storyteller. If every time you like gathered around a fire, Rabbit is sitting there being like. Oh, let's tell the story of Beaver who helped a little baby squirrel today get across a stream. Isn't Beaver so wonderful? I if I was oh, Beaver, man. if I was Beaver, I'd be like Rabbit's a really good storyteller. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that is what Rabbit would do. They would just sit around the fire, and Rabbit would tell about the good deeds that all of them had done that day. Which that I'm like, that's so soul affirming.
1: That, yeah, that's super sweet. Love this rabbit.
0: Yeah, rabbit's the best. So one day, Rabbit came up with a great plan where she thought, you know what? We need to do more in our forest to welcome visitors, especially visitors who, you know, are having problems or are less fortunate than us. We need to do a better job of sharing and taking care of the forest that we have. And all the animals agreed that that probably. Would be nice for all of them to do. And oddly, this is when a genie comes into the story. What? I know. I was. This
1: isn't even a Thousand and One Nights episode. My mind is boggled by this. You thought that the Avengers was the greatest crossover in history.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, this one day there was a genie that was flying over the forest and he heard the conversation going on between the animals about what they could gather up, what they could share. And he thought to himself, huh, these animals sound like they're very generous and kind, but let's put them to the test. So the next day, the genie now in the form of an old man came into the forest. And as the animals were waking up, they heard a call of somebody saying, please, will someone help me? And Rabbit, of course, was like, oh my goodness, of course, let's jump to it. Who is this person who needs help? So Rabbit starts waking up the other animals in the forest being like, there's somebody who needs our help. Pretty soon, they found the old man next to the stream at the edge of the forest and he was soaking wet and shivering and looked very frail. And so they went over and they're like, oh my goodness, we really need to help this person. So one of the first things they did was they brought him some water. So Elephant went up into the mountains where he knew where the cleanest nicest water was and he got some to bring down for the old man and the monkey quickly ran up into the trees that had the juiciest and best mangoes so that he could take them and give them to this old man and the squirrel was jumping all over the place starting to gather up all of the twigs and dry leaves and stones, all the stuff that he's normally kicking all over the forest. Now he's gathering it up so that he could help Rabbit build a fire. So everybody brings the stuff over to the old man, and Rabbit finishes making the fire. And it also says that, like... (laughs) rabbit carefully dug all the grass surrounding the fire to prevent it from spreading which i was like you know what this rabbit is the best it's very like conscious of like fire safety
1: Um, yeah
0: yeah being like oh we need to make this nice so the man has started to warm back up his clothes are now dry from the nice fire and he's eaten the mangoes And had some water to drink. So he's starting to feel good and recovered. And Rabbit thinks to herself, Hmm, I know that humans, they also need meat. I'm made of meat. Oh my gosh. Maybe I can help this person by sacrificing myself. And so the rabbit leapt into the fire But before it could get into the fire, the genie disguised as the old man caught the rabbit (laughs) and said, you are so kind and so selfless and so generous that you were willing to give your life to help somebody else. You are truly the best animal in all of the forest. And so to reward the rabbit, which I don't know if this is a reward or not
1: banished it to the moon.
0: (laughs) 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 He said, from now on, you will be known as the Jade rabbit because you are most precious and you are going to live eternally in the moon palace so that we can always commemorate and remember what a kind and generous animal you were. And so with that, the genie, raised up into the clouds and blessed all the animals for their kindness and lifted up little jade rabbit to the moon palace. The end. Aww. So what's interesting about that story to me is like the version that I'm familiar with is the Buddhist one. And it's like, it's Buddha who does yeah. that, who like is the like genie, like of the story. Right. Um, but of course it's like, Buddha is looking and so like the the lesson is the same which is fascinating to me and it's still that like story of the rabbit and why there's a rabbit on the moon moon. and you can see like a rabbit but also in the Buddha story that I heard it was um he didn't put the rabbit on the moon but he like drew with his hand like the shape of the rabbit on the moon so that every time people looked up at the moon they could remember him not like not banished him to the <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that message of, I know that like there are some people that have like conflicting feelings about this story because this animal was willing to sacrifice like its life. Right. When maybe it wasn't necessary. Like I understand yeah. why it's like, oh, this person needs me. But it was like, no, no, no. You fed them fruit. You fed them like water. That's probably good for now. Like right. that's enough. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you don't necessarily want to be the person that is like sacrificing yourself not for the best reason. Like I understand like the sacrificing your own well-being for like the greater good or something like that. Right. But it it's also like who's to say that that old man's life was worth more than like rabbit's life? Right. There's like some complication in that if you, you kind of take the thinking like too far in like any direction. But I, I really love the message that's in the story itself of being kind, being yeah. generous, like giving to others. And I can see why this is a story that like communities would want to tell mm-hmm. just and and to associate it with what they think is like a rabbit looking creature On the face of the moon. Like if they can see a picture image of like a rabbit on the moon and they want to connect it to something that then has meaning for their community by saying, oh, rabbit is up there because rabbit's being honored for these wonderful values. What it communicates then to everybody in the community is like, we care very much about these values.
1: Yeah, definitely. I also love this story. And the message behind it of being kind, looking for the needs of others and fulfilling them. And again, like you mentioned, like I think up to being willing to give your life for people is something that is very honorable. In the literal situation that was happening in the story, I kind of agree. Like, okay, that that was unnecessary, Rabbit. Like, you didn't have to go that far. But I feel like it is purposefully exaggerated just to get that point across of like, like how important that it is, and that in a situation where that type of thing might be necessary, like that that is still a good thing like like there's something to that, there's something to the fact that that was the place that it went, you know yeah like it the the rabbit didn't change its mind and realize the limits of being selfless yeah, you know, and whether you agree with that sentiment or not there's a reason that that's the place that it went to i guess is the point that i'm trying to make
0: yeah i mean what's what i just now was like thinking about is that you know we have very similar stories in other cultures about people who are willing to sacrifice their lives for other people but as i'm like thinking about yeah. those stories like the ones that i hear the most often they're usually stories about people who are soldiers firemen people who like are pulling right. somebody out of like burning buildings it's very much a thing of like a, a physical safety and right yeah just that that like kind of like immediate danger and so like we have those stories too where people are saying I'm willing to go into this burning building to try to save somebody else's life. And they don't stop to think like, wait, but isn't my life more valuable (laughs) than maybe like the, but yeah, like they're, they're not doing that same like cost benefit analysis, but we as a society love people who are willing to do that. Yeah. And, you know, we say, oh, you don't know if you're that kind of person unless you've like Until you're, like, in the moment, which I do think for a lot of people it's true that they don't necessarily think of themselves as, like, that kind of a person. Yeah. It it is true. Like, they they don't know what kind of a person you are until, like, you kind of have that presented to you, which I think is kind of the same with Rabbit. Nobody knew that Rabbit was willing to do that until the opportunity presented itself, and Rabbit, like, chose that and went for it.
1: Right. And it's the difference, too, of... In the stories that we're more familiar with, I think it might be why we bristle at it a little bit. And there is, I think, some legitimate things that could be talked about and concerns with that. But it's we see it as such a different thing because in that situation, it's you are literally like trading your life for the life of one other person or several other people. Like you're gonna die or they're gonna die. And in that moment, like if someone's gonna die or potentially die, like I can't stand for it to. To be that person and me not do anything. So like I'm willing to die rather than let that person die and do nothing. Whereas this situation, it's like this person was not going to starve to death if rabbit didn't yeah. give himself. But rabbit wanted so much to put other people first that she gave all of herself. And I think the thing that makes people, especially over here in Western society, bristle at the fact that this animal is from an interpretation unnecessarily willing to give its life for something that's not absolutely like necessary and important for this other person's survival or whatever i think it ties into kind of a focus on like mental health and like healthy relationships and healthy boundaries and things like that because of you know codependency where people are wanting to help someone so much and there's so and they're doing things that these people should be doing for themselves and it becomes this like really unhealthy thing for the person that's doing it and even for the person that they're doing it for like if you're not letting someone do things for themselves like they're not going to have the skills that they need or whatever they're always going to need to rely on somebody to do those things for you so i think there is this whole thing about that i feel like that's why people bristle at it because you don't want people literally acting out kind of what rabbit did for in that instance like a lot of things like oh making sure to share food is good, making sure to share clean water is good. Like being a good like citizen and thinking about the implications of your actions on other people and like with the fire that's good, but I think we would draw the line at doing something that would be to your detriment for someone else's good when not absolutely necessary, I guess. I don't know. I think it's a mental health thing that is. Yeah. The, the, no,
0: I think that's a very relevant thing to bring up because like again, when we're looking at it from like our cultural lens, we're gonna see different stuff that like either wasn't a, a a worry or a concern like when they were telling this story, or you know like wasn't in the zeitgeist. And like right now, especially like our generation, we talk about mental health a lot. We look into it. We get mental health help. We go to like yeah therapy and read books and listen to like. TikTok stuff about like how to identify like narcissists in your life how to like get out of a codependent relationship stuff like that and so it's very much like a lot of like what we consume and talk about and are concerned with is having like what you said right. like healthy relationships
1: and we're very sensitive to yeah that.
0: and so now it is like when we're reading a story and we're seeing like somebody acting in a way where we're like oh that might not be healthy for you in the long run like You can't always go all out for somebody else. Sometimes you have to practice self-care, Rabbit, and, like, you know, be, like, working on (laughs) just making sure that you're okay, Rabbit. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is, like, we're seeing Rabbit... Not totally out of necessity, and I like how you pointed out, like, in the version that we're looking at, because there might be other translations or versions that, like, it is more urgent, that it is, like, an immediate, like, he needs meat or he will die, I will give my meat. Like, but yeah, in this story, not an immediate need, but Rabbit was like, oh, nope, I'm willing to do it. And it's like, yes, that is, like a very pro social thing for you to want to do to give your life for like another person. But yeah, we, I can also see why some people might be very sensitive to being like, no rabbit too far.
1: Yeah. I do think it's interesting how in so many of these stories, immortality plays into it. And in this one specifically, that was rabbit's reward was to like go and live in the palace on the moon with immortality. Yeah. And it's, Something I think even in the West we can consider. And I think the fact that you bring up, you know, a a Buddhist version of this tale is also very telling of the fact that sacrificing and doing what's good for other people will grant you eternal life in the next life to come. Yeah, Which I think is an idea that we can in the West also relate to because there is, you know, like in the United States, there's a very strong like Christian presence, you know, people are familiar with Christianity, even if they don't believe or practice or whatever. And it's like the story of Jesus Christ is exactly that. Like he died for the sake of other people and then lived again and will be immortal because of his willingness to sacrifice himself for the good of humanity or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's not a completely foreign idea to us. And it's interesting how much it comes up. Cause I think about Chang'e and the same thing where it's like the peaches of immortality and, and, like it's just interesting how immortality plays so much into this thing on the moon and it's kind of like well it's always there it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years so these people have to be immortal but also the idea of it being like them living on and I liked what you talked about with the drawing the shape of the rabbit on the moon to commemorate this and I think that is also an idea that we can relate to in the sense that people that we consider to be heroes people that sacrifice themselves for other people like we immortalize them as well in stories like they may have died But they live on in the way that we think about them, honor them, put paintings or statues or whatever of these people um, in order to like commemorate them. So it's just like it is interesting how to see these ideas expressed that are very familiar in a way that is also not as familiar, if that makes any sense. Yeah,
0: because it's like in the ways that this is different from a statue, it's different because it's like the moon Uh, and it's like oh this is a lesson and something that we can look at like every month and see and remember and talk about if we wanted to and like talk about like those like good values because I mean stories like that also pop up in like talking about like mountain ranges or like just why different things are shaped the way they are whatever and it's like oh because this is like that person and so Yeah, it's like it's not a statue, but that same idea of like wanting to like honor somebody's great deeds and have like a physical object that like we can look at and be reminded of them. It's like, yeah, it's something that's like very universal.
1: And I think I like what you said just now, too, in a way that it is different, is that especially with this tale also you brought up geomythology which i just want to give a plug for our geomythology episodes that we did like two months into starting the podcast because those are some of my favorite episodes and because they're so far back and it's kind of like a topic that is not well known i feel like they don't get listened to a lot but i would recommend going back and listening to those because they're amazing but because of the level of of abstraction that is there one of the big differences is exactly what you pointed out. Like we think about the values because of the story rather than the person. Like we think of people and heroes and like this person is amazing. And it's like, yeah, their deeds are the reason why, but we think of the person so much. Whereas in these situations, I think that abstraction, the fact that it's an animal, the fact that it's on a natural object helps to keep in mind that this is a story and that this is, the ideas are the things that are important about it, the values and the deeds that were told in the story are the things that are important, not an individual person. Yeah. So you had mentioned before in the first story about the banyan tree and how that is yes. significant because one thing that I've really enjoyed also about our podcast that it's gotten me turned on to is like the symbolism of plants. So what is the significance of the banyan tree?
0: I would love to talk about banyan trees because, like, I grew up in a country covered in banyan trees, and I love them. So what's really interesting about banyan trees, they are actually a type of fig Oh, tree. wow, I did not know that. And they are, they're a plant that grows on other plants. So, like, when, like, mistletoe. Mm-hmm. But basically, like, when, like, seeds fall if they fall just on regular dirt that they usually aren't able to start maturing or growing or anything, but if they fall into like a crack or a crevice of like a host tree and it doesn't even have to be a tree. Cause it could be like just a building <laughs> or like, like just an edifice, something they're usually able to start growing from there. Normally a host tree, And so because of this, they almost seem like spontaneous life because they're seemingly just like a plant coming out of like nothing. Right. And, you know, and being a different plant from the plant that like they're connected to. And so they they kind of just have this like almost like mystical aura about them just because they do something different from like other plants. Right. Which I feel throughout the world, anytime there's like a plant that is doing something weird from other things. Because it's like holly. The reason why holly is around at Christmas time is because it's alive and bright and vibrant. In the
1: dead of winter. When everything else
0: is dead, yeah. Um, And so like anytime a plant or an animal does something that's like freaky weird that we don't understand, like humans come up with like...
1: Interesting reasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah, interesting reasons or even like they ascribe different like qualities to like a plant.
1: Yeah. Plus banyan trees are just crazy looking. Like they're a very unique looking plant.
0: Yeah. Banyan trees, they like they look crazy because it's like all their vines look really lumpy. Like as they're overtaking like another tree. Yeah. Yeah. And so that looks really cool just because of like the way that it's shaped. But then they also have aerial prop roots. Mm -hmm. So like as they start getting like really, really big and kind of moving out, they can't hold up their own weight. And so they send roots down to the ground from like, you know, a branch. And so you'll see part of the tree going down. Yeah, it's it's an aerial prop root. It's like propping... Yeah. Propping itself. That's so up.
1: interesting. Cause I kind of always thought that it was the opposite way around that those were then growing up from the ground into the sky. And it was kind of like, it had like multiple trunks more of a thing than that. Those were roots yeah. that were going down to hold up the limbs. That is crazy. That's so fascinating. Yeah, so,
0: and then another thing that kind of like adds to them looking even like weirder stranger is that like, sometimes. They will outlive their host plant. Uh Uh-huh. And if the host plant starts to, like, crumble and fall apart, it's falling apart inside, leaving, like, a hollow. Yeah. Because the the, the living banyan tree is the outside part. Right. And the inside then dies out. So it's not the inside of the tree, the banyan tree dies. No, the, the host plant dies. Yeah,
1: that's crazy.
0: And... It creates, like, a hollow, which can then fill up with, like, different animals that are, like, using it as, like, a home.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, like, it really adds to it looking kind of crazy. But then also looking like, you know, wait, did this die? But it's still alive. How does it do this? The prop roots that then can make it look, like, one, much more massive because it can spread out its top like wide so yeah they're they're a plant that's just like yeah it looks very distinct
1: and i think sort of relevant to the story as well it looks kind of airy like you're talking about like a gap gaps that form because it's got these multiple points that go down like it's not one solid trunk that just goes up super tall or super big like a big redwood which is like impressive it's like all these tiny little pieces and there's so much of it that you can kind of see through Yeah. Which also adds an interesting, like, or about, and again, being airy, like, this thing, like, starts floating up into the sky. Like, a banyan tree looks like it could do that. Like, if you're like, oh, and then the redwood tree, like, started floating up in the sky. It "It would need to be strapped to a giant rocket in order to do that. You know, like, it just looks so big and (laughs) dense and thick. And, like, that seems like a stretch for the banyan tree. I can imagine just kind of (sighs) like... floating up and off because of the airiness to it i don't know
0: because i'm like some of them that have like that that there's just like a lot a lot a lot of them that are like layered on top of each other they can look very thick and almost like like a jungle all by itself clumped
1: into one thing like
0: encapsulated yeah so one thing that was interesting while i was like looking at more information about like banyan trees is that in lots of different like Asian and Pacific like religions and mythologies and stuff, the Banyan tree like features because it's a very like distinctly interesting tree. But in Hinduism, the leaves of the Banyan tree are supposed to be the resting place for the God Krishna, which I uh. found very interesting. I personally, in my mind right now, I don't have a connection between Hinduism And this story, because I don't think I know enough about like Vietnamese history to be like, oh, obviously like this Hindu like belief went into this story. I I don't know about that, but I did find it just like very interesting to like read that the, the the leaves that in this story were being used to like cure and heal like the leaves were what had the magical property. It was interesting that the leaves in Hinduism were supposed to be this like resting place for a God.
1: Yeah. Associated with deity, which makes sense to have these like powers that could be associated with them as a result of that. Yes. Yeah. That is super fascinating.
0: And so like, it's really interesting because in like this Vietnamese story, the dark markings that are supposed to be on the moon, are what looks like a banyan tree that has like made its way up there. And so to them, the way that just like the, the dark marks looked on the moon, it was like, Oh, the closest thing that we can think of that this reminds us of is a banyan tree. And so it's interesting how it's like, I don't know what came first. Somebody seeing that, On the moon and then, you know, making a story about how it got up there or if, you know, they had this story about like a banyan tree and somebody at some point connected it to like the marks like on the moon. It's interesting to think about like what came first, the the story itself or people saying, oh, it looks like a banyan tree on the moon.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: And it's the same with like, you know, did people look up at the moon and see a rabbit and then come up with like a story to go with that? Or did the story come first? And then later they, you know, started to say like, you know what, I think it looks a little bit like a rabbit up there. So I love stories about the celestial objects in the night sky, just because it is like one of those things that pops up in mythology and folklore all over the world because it's something that we all will always share is that there is a night sky and so i just i hope that everybody you know when the moon is dark goes out and looks up at all the beautiful stars that there are to see and as we get closer to the full moon especially the mid-autumn moon that they will have a greater appreciation the moon and also think about the cultures around the world that that celebrate the moon so much and i'm really looking forward to a holiday season this year and hopefully finding more stories that correlate with the different holidays that are happening because i that's always fun for me holidays are a great story time all around the world
1: thank you for listening to the fairy tellers If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash the fairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible.
0: Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar. I'm going to drink first.
1: Take a shot every time we go on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd be going on a lot more tangents. That's a cycle that leads to alcohol poisoning.
0: Yeah, I was like, I'm like, luckily... I just I just have water. Oh,
1: okay. That's good.
0: Wank.